0: Thank you for joining the City Growth Church podcast. Here at CGC, we're a community of imperfect people living in apprenticeship to a perfect God. If you enjoyed today's message, please like, share, subscribe, and leave a brief review to help make this resource more available to your loved ones. God bless you, and let's start tracking together starting with today's message. That's my mom. So, again, if you want to go ahead and flip in your Bible, we are going to be in uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 11. Uh, and I know you guys aren't going to believe me, but I'm going to cover an entire chapter of Scripture today. So if you will, when you get a chance and you are there in, in Scripture, then uh, we're going to stand and read God's Word together. Uh, I'm going to read verses 38 through 44. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone laid across the entrance. There's foreshadowing of what's to come. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe... You will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is God's word. Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so thankful to be able to spend time in your word today, God. To be able to focus in, Lord, on the, the path of Jesus, God, that gave us New life that gave us restorative hope, God, that we pray that you'll use this time together. You'll use this time in your word, God, to just further our hearts, further our minds, Lord, and bring us closer to you. We pray these things in your glorious heavenly name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to give us a brief, I'm going to say brief, I'm going to give us the Cliff Notes version, right, of verses 1 through Uh, 37. And so it starts, obviously, uh, we have a man named Lazarus, his sister, sisters, uh, Martha and Mary. This is the same Mary, as you see here in the scripture, this is the same Mary that will anoint his feet with the perfume. This causes a division amongst, uh, I say division, this is an 11-on-1 division that occurs because of uh, this act when, when when Mary actually pours the perfume on Jesus' feet, Judas, who would be the betrayer, immediately is outraged. John will go on to further explain to us that he's outraged because he's a liar and a cheat. Right? He is the treasurer of the money, and the reason that he is upset is because that's less that he can steal. The same is still happening today. There are, are people who call themselves Christians that get mad at another Christian, right? You gave all this money, you gave all this time, you gave all this effort to the the church, and for the, the further and the betterment of the word, it could have been used for this other thing. And typically the other thing that they'll allude to is a selfish desire or something that would immediately benefit them, right? Things that will benefit themselves. So here we have Mary... Martha and Lazarus, no, no, no last name, right? Because last names or surnames, those don't exist yet. Jesus' last name is not Christ. Just, just we're all together here. Christ, right, is, is a, a title meaning Messiah or the prophesied one, the Savior of the world. So Jesus, when you think of Jesus, is not Jesus Christ in, in, in nomenclature. In other words, in, in name, that is, that's not his name. It's a name followed by a title, right? So Mary uh, is the, the one that will ultimately uh, anoint Jesus' feet or prepare him for burial. This is Martha, who honestly, our teaching and our, our lesson really comes through in this passage through the lens of Martha. Uh, another account of this same action in the in the gospel uh, I believe of Matthew focuses in on on Martha is kind of angry with jesus right she 's angry with Jesus because he left Lazarus there to suffer she 's kind of angry with Jesus because right things didn't go the way that she had planned and the way that she saw it happening in her mind. And that's so true for us today. That we say that we have faith to believe for miracles, but we want the miracle through our own eyes, through our own lens, right? Through our own agenda. We don't actually want to lay things down, which is the, literally how a miracle begins. We don't want to lay things down in submission to him and allow him to have his will and have his way. So Martha, Mary, Lazarus, we know that Jesus is, is very much loves this family, and we see in verse three. Uh, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So this isn't just some strange, you know, stranger who kind of we see in, in scripture that people will come to Jesus and they're strangers. They'll come to Jesus and he loves and he heals. This would be people who he holds closest to him. This is a family who he holds near and dear. And we see through the action that occurs, this family more than likely has significance in their, their village, significance in their town. Because the healing or the res- restoration of Lazarus is, in essence, a, a final straw for Jesus. We've, in the past uh, eight weeks, been following along the characteristics of Jesus, Right? And we've looked at Jesus through the lens of his teaching. We've looked at Jesus through the lens of his miracles. We've looked at Jesus through the lens of how he literally communicates and how he handles loving on other people. So we haven't just looked at Jesus as some, uh, you know, above and beyond, out of reach. We have looked at Jesus as the one who is intimate to us. This family means a lot to to Jesus. The beauty is, you mean a lot to Jesus. If you were the only person on earth, Jesus would still come and die so that you could have new life. Jesus knows and cares for this family, and yet he waits. Look at this, verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, immediately he ran to help, right? Surely. No, we see that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. He's a pretty short distance from Lazarus. And he stays where he is for two more days. So when he saw that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus, the one whom he loves, was sick. He stayed where he was for two more days. And often we get mad at Jesus, right? We want the miracle. We want the healing. But we want it our way. We want it conditionally. And the conditions are are us. Me, 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 me. Jesus does what he does. God sees everything play out the way that it does. We refer to it within the Christian faith as providence, right? It's this divine control that God has that works between our free will, that allows us to make our own decisions. And God ultimately has a plan of what will occur, right? To, to un- unfold his, his ultimate plan. This is providence in, in, a, in a layman's terms. What I love in this passage of Scripture is that the miracle has to mature, right? So in the Jewish faith, three days after your death, the soul is still kind of hanging around and defending the body, so to speak. We see in in old school Jewish traditions where they would actually have mourning periods, and people would stay and basically watch the body, right? Right? And in Jewish tradition, though, on that fourth day, the soul has went literally to paradise, as we see in the Psalms, to paradise with God. The already, but not yet. Everybody say that with me. The already, but not yet. See, where we go after death is heaven, but it's not heaven in the sense of the final heaven, the finality of heaven, that when this earth ends... When this life ends, the new heaven and the new earth, right? When we see this play out in, in, the book of Rome, in the book of Revelation as we studied, the new heaven and the new earth implies that there will be new creation, right? So on that fourth day, the soul is free to go to the paradise, the pasture, so to speak, with the shepherd, And this would be basically, in, again, in layman's terms, the point of no return. Never before have they seen a resurrection, but, right, again, put things on our terms. We've never seen a resurrection before, but, you know, after the third day, it, it just, it can't happen. It's never happened before, right? But on the third day, right, that's when it can't happen. Why? Because we get focused on traditionalism. One of the most violent, aggressive terms that you can hear, church, business, your life, is, why did you do that? We've always done it that way. Right? They're so focused on the law and the prophets that they miss the entire point that the Messiah that is foretold by the law and the prophets is standing in front of them. Again, they're so focused on a healing that they have missed the healer. Verse 16. I love when you when you study scripture, you see things that you don't you don't see, right? Well, this time I really stumbled on something that I'd never really seen before, or it never jumped out to me in this way before. There's a guy named Thomas, and we literally have an expression made up for Thomas called being a doubting Thomas. Thomas means Didymus, which means the twin. So if you're, if you're the twin, the, you know, other Thomas, then you got to be happy, right, that you don't get roped in with the Thomas. But Thomas is always referred to as a doubter, or so we we think, right? Because, again, life is conditional, and we look through things through our condition, through our lens, through our focus, what we want to see. And we want to see this failure story for Thomas, right? Thomas, you just never believe. Look at verse 16 with me real quick. And I found something that I'd never seen before. It never jumped out to me in this way before. This Thomas, who we like to to rope with negative connotation. Verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, speaking of Jesus here, let us also go that we may die with him. What's he talking about? We've just seen that Jesus, if he follows through and he goes to Lazarus' tomb, right? He's just left the temple where he healed the blind man. They're mad at him because he's the healer that he's always been foretold to be. If he continues back on this track, on this journey, he will surely die. Again, here's foreshadowing back to the book of Genesis. We see, right, that if we eat of this fruit, we will surely die. Paul has this same foreshadowing event, right, where he's told by elders, hey, if you go to Rome, you're going to die. The same thing is true for our lives, guys. If you follow Jesus, it's not going to be easy. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we are May die with him. You know, doubting Thomas? He's the only disciple that stood up here and said, You know what? Jesus is about to march to his death. Let's go with him. And he didn't say this, I would think, from a lens of let's go and watch, uh, like a car accident, right? People just get focused in on it. You tell somebody not to look at something, and they look. It would be my heart's belief here that Thomas didn't say this to go, let's go watch Jesus die. No, he says this through the lens of, Jesus is going to die. We've got to go die with him. You know, that same Thomas who we like to talk about his doubt. Lord, help my unbelief, he says. Thomas says, let us go that we may die with him. A man typically characterized for his doubting has one of the greatest examples of faith in Scripture. And it's a throwaway line, right? It's something that we kind of look past to get to the next subheader in your Bible and and follow this storyline. It's so easy in our lives, guys, to overlook that small detail that made all the difference. Scientists refer to it as the butterfly effect. One small thing that alters the complete, the complete, uh, you know, enthrallment of what will occur. One small detail that changes everything. This is easy to be a butterfly effect here, guys. It's telling through the lens of an of a disciple. You, you think, oh Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah, man. Everybody loved that guy. He has 12 close friends. One of them is not actually a close friend. He has 72 that are like, yeah, they're acquaintances. The acquaintances have about another 50 that roughly equals out to a 120 that you could consider like the following. And because of the one, Jesus Christ, we have the 120 who changed the world. It's easy to look at things and say through our lens, "Oh, I can't do this and I can't do that." No, you're right, you can't. But through you, Christ can. There's a, a, a Bible verse I call them Hobby Lobby verses. It's Philippians four thirteen. This, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I have it on my own. I have it tattooed on my skin, guys. But there's so many people who, again, it's a, it's, it's, it, that's all they're looking at. Is right? like, oh, that's motivational. If I can be honest with you, motivational Christianity is the problem. Catchphrase Christianity is, is killing discipleship. We want to go to this false teacher who says catchy, flashy things that get our attention, and we went to the rock show. We didn't actually sing the words but we felt the vibes, man. We felt the rhythm, man. That's the problem. That's the problem, guys. Well, our church, you know, there's 2,000 people, so you can kind of just fade out and, and not do anything. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with that many gathering of the saints. But when you look at it through the lens of, I don't have to be held accountable, that's the problem, y'all. And it's led by tight pants. I'm sorry, it's led by tight pants people who stand without Bibles from, from platforms they call pulpits. But couldn't be anything further from it. You're a motivational speaker. That's the problem. This church, we just got lucky and fortunate and blessed, and we got to go watch a movie about Christianity at its core, which is dirty. Christianity at its core, which is emotional. Christianity at its core, which relies on us relying on one another, that our strength is not found in self, but together our strength is found through Christ. You want to know one of the most dangerous things that that, that is going through the church today? It's the phrase, follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Don't you follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things, says the prophet Jeremiah. Don't you follow your heart because your heart will lead you to sin. They don't want to preach that. I'm content with the fact I probably never get this huge following, guys. Why? Because I'm preaching the gospel. And the gospel says that we're wrong. The gospel says we're not enough, but we serve a Christ. We serve a risen Savior who is. I'm okay with that. Because at the end of time, we'll all be held accountable to what we did on this earth And I'm proud to stand behind a pulpit and preach the gospel. To preach an unfiltered, raw gospel, which is that we are flawed. But Jesus isn't. We're living in a time right now, guys, when revival breaks out and people say, Here's why it's not authentic. Here's why it couldn't happen. Go experience it for yourself. You don't have to go anywhere. You have to pray. You have to bring your sins before Christ. That's how revival starts. To lay down your sins at the foot of the cross, a command of Jesus, which is in all four Gospels. Luke takes it a step further and says daily. But the command is in all four gospels to lay down ourselves, to pick up our cross, and follow him. The doubting Thomas is the one that says, let's go lay down our lives with Christ. We continue to verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. All right, let's do some math. Let's follow this math, guys. He's a short distance from them, less than a day's journey. It's called a Sabbath day walk. In other words, the distance that he he could take to get there, you would be allowed to do on the Sabbath. The body is in the tomb for four days. Lord, if you had just been here, my already two days dead brother would still be alive. But we want things on our time, guys. I need a healing, I need a miracle, I need it right now. Well, maybe you're not ready for it right now, but I need it right now. Well, why? I don't know, but I do. It would make me feel good, it would be comfortable for me. Lord. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, and I can't say that I blame her, right? When, when something tragic happens, we can't accept that it happened. We have to find a reason why it could have not happened, right? My grandpa was 98 years old and he passed away. But if it just, if this doctor had just done this thing, okay, let me tell you something. I love y'all all. We all have expiration dates. But we're quick, right, to find reason why, if this, then this. We're not science fair projects, guys. We're not hypothesis, an if-then statement. We are flawed humans serving a perfect Christ, a perfect Savior. Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22 says... But I know, look at this, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. You know what I love is that there had been a Samaritan man that said, you know what, God, you don't have to come to my house. Right? You just say the word. That's the kind of faith that he had. And my servant will be healed. Now, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, who are very close to Jesus, Lazarus being the one whom he loved. So if anybody knows Jesus personally, it's this people. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I needed to see you come here. I didn't have the faith to pray it myself. It's your fault it happened. You ever found yourself in this situation guys? That our faith is not as big as our asks. Jesus said to her, look at this look at this statement. Verse 23, your brother will rise again. He didn't say if you go rub this magic genie, if you say this Right? If you say this thing, if you recite it after me, no. He says, by faith, your brother will rise again. Martha went from blaming Jesus in verse 21, kind of believing in verse 22, follow this in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, in this, in this moment right here, guys, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, see Jesus as a troublemaker. We've kind of been seeing splits between them. This one causes the ultimate wedge. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah. In other words, you are the one that the law and the prophets prophesied about. You were the one that was to come. The last time we've seen a a statement this bold about Jesus came from his cousin John, right? Back in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He says, look, guys, I ain't even qualified to tie his boots. His sandals are holier than me. I can't even touch him. I'm just the one, a voice in the wilderness, calling out, right, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now we have Martha, who knows Jesus personally, saying, I know that you are the Messiah. Why? Because back in verse 25, Jesus declared that he was the resurrection and the life. The theologian Dallas Willard says, Sometimes we get caught up in trying to glorify God by praising what he can do, and we lose sight of the practical point of what he actually does. Let me read that again for you. We get caught up in trying to glorify God by praising what he can do, and we lose sight of the practical point of what he actually does. Does this was Martha? You could have healed my brother. That she has lost the point that he is gonna heal her brother. You gotta let the miracle mature. Skip ahead to verse thirty-seven. We see, but some of them said, "Could not he have op- he who opened?" the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? He could have healed. He he could have just prevented all this, right? He could have just not let any of this happen. How's that working out for you? People often call verse 35 that we just passed Shortest verse in the Bible. In English, yes. It's not. A whole another story, a whole other day. Jesus wept. I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before, right? Jesus wept. Now look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. What does that sound like, y'all? Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, you could have healed my brother. Right? Heal my brother. And Jesus is like, all right, I got this. Let's move the stone. Yeah, but the smell. All right, Martha, explain this then. Suppose to me, how do, how do we fix this? Right? Again, we want it our way. Take away the stone, he said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor. For he has been here for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Deeply moved by the situation, knowing the sure repercussions of what this saving act of grace will do, Jesus takes the opportunity not just to raise Lazarus, but to, to, to restore Martha's faith. It's not enough for him to just raise Lazarus from the dead. He wants to give Martha a new kind of faith here. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He tells Martha, and he's telling us still today, you don't have to see it to believe it. That is literally the opposite of faith. Faith is to have belief in that which you can't see. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father... I thank you that you have always heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. He stops, guys, in the moment here, says, thanks, God, for all that you do. And then, look, he says, and that wasn't for me, that was for y'all. Right? Because the disciples back in the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount They asked Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And there's a little nod to this here, right? The disciples would have been following intimately, closely here. Why? How do we know? Because Thomas says, let's all go follow him and die. And everybody's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I'd love to die. No, that's probably not how that worked. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus takes the opportunity to teach us the importance of prayer. Jesus very easily, guys, follow follow along here. He could have swipe of the hand, there goes the stone. Not a word said, right? Lazarus comes out. He's healed. He's glorified. He's magnified. No. He wants us to be part of the miracle, guys. You guys roll away the stone. All right, let me show you how to pray again real quick. Matter of fact, I'm not just going to show you how to pray. I'm going to then tell you this is why prayer is important. He demonstrates that the foundation of a solid faith is an active prayer life. The foundation or the, the, the basis of faith is your prayer life. I'm not hearing from God. I'm not praying either. Jesus calls us to pray like we have already seen the miracle unfold. Prayer with a purpose, I'll call it. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped, strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Okay, this is full burial rites, guys. In other words, they didn't plan on him coming back. They want Jesus. If they actually believed and had faith in Jesus, they would have left him laying there. Jesus is coming. Right. We ain't even worried about it. Yeah, he might be starting to stink. Jesus got this. One step further. If they had real faith, they would have said, Lazarus, rise. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise. But Jesus, who lets the miracle mature, also has the grace to let us learn. Most leaders would condemn, right? And Jesus says, "Let's work through this, guys." A true leader gets down in the trenches and gets dirty with his team. I, I would, I would say, going in the tomb with the dead guy, like that—that's—that's proper leadership here, guys. Verse forty-five. Let me tell y'all something real quick. John will spend a third, a little over a third actually, of his gospel on the last 10 days of Jesus' life. Y'all heard that? Over a third of John's gospel is the last 10 days of Jesus' life. So in other words, it's pretty important. Verse 45 is the turning point of Scripture. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Were they there to see Lazarus? Were they even there to see Martha? Let me, let me show you all something real quick. Mary is referred to, I mean, let's just, there's no kids. Mary is referred to as a prostitute. People know her as a prostitute verse 45 therefore many of the jews who had come to visit mary mm, who do they know it's like when they catch the woman in adultery what why are you catching her in the in, this implies that you have a certain propensity for sin in your life but let's let's point fingers right so watch this they had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. They came. They came for the sin and they stayed for the Savior. They came for the feel good and they stayed for the restoration. Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So we got half that came to see Mary it was like, "Man, my whole life is a mess. This guy, this guy, I'm going to I'm going to follow him." And then the other half says, "Oh man, he's so dead for this." <laughs> then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, the holiest of holies, guys. The white knucklers are there. I call them white knucklers because they're always going to be sitting on the edge of their seat. In tension. Looking to find something wrong or flawed with Jesus. You know, we know the Torah so well. So how did you miss that it all points to him? What are we accomplishing, they ask. Here is the man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Did y'all hear that? If we let the Savior of the world keep being the Savior of the world, uh, he's going to save the world. And if he saves the world, we can't make money by making them bring their sacrifices, their birds, their turtle doves, their rams, their lambs. If we let Jesus be Jesus, we won't matter anymore. You see that? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. If that's your attitude, you you might want to give it up. The beauty comes right here uh, in verse 54. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed. With his disciples. Why does this matter? We did an entire word study on this word, eramos. What we see here is wilderness. Why does that matter? Back in Mark chapter 1, verses 11, 12, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And at that point in time, he goes to a Ramos to prepare for ministry. At this point in time, he goes to a Ramos, the quiet place, the solitude place, place of prayer, to prepare for his betrayal, his beating, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The same place that he started this thing by having the faith to go and pray to God is the place that he's going to end this thing with the faith to pray to God for strength. He now returns to prepare for the events that are are to come. In other words, Jesus goes to the quiet place to prepare for his death. You know, one of the the most kind of similar places we can kind of see this that plays out in our lives. You ever had a family pet who, like, you loved, right? And that that pet loves you. A lot of times, that pet loves you so much that they're going to spare you of the agony. They'll go off away from everybody else, and they'll pass away quiet. Because they love us that much. Jesus loves us so much that he went away. Away from all the noise. Away from all the busyness. I mean, guys, if he's going to be like an overthrower, I'm just saying he just raised somebody from the dead. Like, this would be a good point. People would be like, okay, we can follow this guy. But Jesus knew what was coming. So he goes to the quiet place. He goes to a Ramos any he prays. I don't think that enough of us spend time in Aramos or the quiet place in prayer. Right? We wonder, God, why won't you do these things that I want you to do? First off, there's your problem. Well, God, I'm not hearing from you, but I'm not spending time with you. You don't know the number one cause of divorce? Lack of communication. Oh, it's infidelity. What caused infidelity? Oh, it's abuse. What caused the abuse? It all points back to one thing. You don't know the number one cause of a lack of faith? Lack of communication. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Uh, We'll close it out. Uh, I'm going to read one more quote. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, The kids will come back down. This quote comes from Henry Nowen, who is renowned for, literally for his meditations on silence and solitude. In other words, he thought that that Oramos study thing was so important that he committed his life to it. Jesus changes our history from a random series of sad. of sad incidents and accidents into a constant opportunity for a change of heart. That one will cut you deep. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful for your word. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for the opportunities that you give us, God. We just pray, Lord, that you'll change our hearts, Lord. You'll change our minds and you'll change our focus. That we could see you and that we could seek you above all things, God. I just pray that if there's anybody in this place today, Lord, that doesn't have that, that, that Ramos, God, if they don't have that, that quiet place, if they don't have that wilderness of silence and solitude, God, that today be the day that they find it. That today be the day that they see the importance, that they follow the example of Jesus, that we follow we follow you. I just pray these things in your heavenly glorious name. In Jesus' name, amen.